In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is the Feast of the Holy Trinity, which might come as a surprise to you as this holy day does not have a section in the greeting card aisle. There are new mattress sales associated with it. So you might wonder, why does the church have these holidays that seem a bit obscure and detached from reality? To put it simply, we keep these feasts because this is who we are. Imagine a society or a family that had no rituals or holidays, no birthday gatherings, no annual trip to the beach, no fireworks on the 4th of July. It would not take very long for that family or society to disintegrate without such identity-forming customs. The Thanksgiving parade in Salisbury, or the way that you celebrate Christmas morning, these give us wonderful memories, occasions to come together, and these habits have shaped us into the people that we are. And it's no different in the church. The things that we do shape us and teach us in ways that we are often unaware of. This is why intentional worship is a part of our identity statement. We know the power of liturgy and tradition, and we want to use these gifts that God has given us. Something I often say is that the church has to keep its calendar because society will not keep it for us. Now, I am not saying that things are as simple as Christians having the church calendar in their daily planner, but that certainly wouldn't hurt. Even most congregations do not keep the feasts of the church, and there is a great danger when we stop doing the things that make us who we are. It's a question I ask couples who are preparing for marriage or facing struggles in their marriage. What are the things that you do as a couple that make you, you? And the advice is to make sure that after the wedding, you keep doing those things. And when times get hard, even more, make sure that you are doing them to stay connected. And it is no different in faith. Once we stop celebrating the things that are central to our faith, well, then the faith becomes little more than superstition, wishful thinking, and moralism instead of being a testament to the all-surpassing love of God, which brings us to the Feast of the Holy Trinity. In various ways, since the second century, the church has set aside particular times to contemplate and celebrate that God has been revealed to us as Trinity, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It was about a thousand years ago, at the direction of the Archbishop of Canterbury, this commemoration should happen every year on the Sunday after Pentecost. Now, the mistake that so many preachers and theologians make about the Trinity is that they treat it as a doctrine instead of a description. Doctrine implies a theory or a concept that we have deduced with our reason from Scripture and has little to do with reality. For many, talking about the Trinity falls into the same category as talking about how many angels can fit on the head of a needle. It's preposterous, unfortunate, and a disastrous misunderstanding. The Trinity is not a doctrine to read about in books or listen to lectures about. 
Instead, knowledge of the Trinity is the gift of having a description of God. The Trinity is descriptive, not doctrinal. What an amazing and glorious gift that we have been given, a glimpse into the very nature of God who created all things, who was born, lived, and died, and resurrected for us in love, who dwells within each of us by the Spirit. Now, it is true that the word Trinity never shows up in Scripture, but the triune nature of God is clear throughout the Bible. The Father is clear in Scripture, the Son is clear in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is clear in Scripture. And it is clear that each of these are God, while at the same time it is also clear that there is only one God. Somehow God is both one and three. And through the centuries, these scriptural des descriptions of God were summed up in a single word, Trinity. Now it would take the church centuries to be able to articulate what exactly we mean when we say Trinity. And we are still working at it today. The more important point, though, is that this all happened as a process. Each generation receives as stewards the gifts and the legacies of those who have come before us. In the brief decades that we each have as a gift, we strive to be faithful stewards of these gifts, and then we pass them along to those who will come after us. So in a sense, each generation has to discover these truths afresh. But we're not starting from scratch. It's a bit like getting onto the interstate. Each person and each generation has to build up speed before we get anywhere. And this is why wisdom and discernment are so important. And tragically, they are both in short supply in the church and in our society. We heard in Proverbs the question, does not wisdom call and does not understanding raise her voice? Proverbs notes that wisdom is found at the city gate and at the crossroads. Now, we don't live in a city that has a gate or a central crossroad, but ancient cities were different. Imagine if everyone that wanted to come in and out of Salisbury had to go through the very same gate. And they're not zooming through in cars or with headphones on listening to something. Everyone comes and goes through the gate. Soldiers, dignitaries, merchants, farmers, livestock, and visitors. Imagine how different the square would be if Innes and Main were the only streets in all of town. Well, the crossroad would be what everyone and everything travels through. And that is exactly where Proverbs says wisdom is to be found. All things go through, or at least all things ought to go through, the wisdom of God. And what is wisdom? Well, wisdom is knowledge beyond us that we gain by experience. Wisdom has to be listened to, conversed with, and thoughtfully applied. Wisdom takes time. It takes vulnerability in admitting that we do not know it all and we might even be wrong. And wisdom always has to be done in a community because no one person has a monopoly on wisdom. Simply put, we live in an unwise culture. We trade slogans and sound bites instead of having conversations. 
We do not listen well to others, especially those who are different from us. We do not easily change our minds, admit that we are all ignorant about most things, or acknowledge that we depend on one another. And when we close ourselves off to wisdom, we are closing ourselves off to God. In John, we heard Jesus say that he still has many things to tell us, but we weren't ready to hear them yet. Today, God still has plenty to say to us. Some of those things we are ready to hear. Some of them we are not. And we will only get a partial truth that will become a stepping stone for a future generation to more fully understand. Jesus tells us that he is the truth and that the Spirit will guide us further into truth. But if we've already made up our minds about what truth is, then we can never find the living God. If we say that all truth is subjective, just a matter of opinion, and that there is no such thing as truth, then essentially we're saying that we're atheists. If we say that there is no truth, then we are saying the Trinity is just a made-up doctrine instead of a description of the truth itself. Now, to be clear, I cannot explain the Trinity to you. How is it that God is both one and three? That's beyond the limits of my intellect. When Jesus was on the cross, was the Father there as well? No one can say for sure. How exactly is Jesus of Nazareth also the eternal word of God? I really can't say. And if we view the Trinity as a doctrine, a doctrine that we really can't make any sense out of, then rightfully we reject it. A doctrine that is not helpful and cannot be understood ought to be rejected. But the Trinity is not doctrinal, it is descriptive. And what the Trinity describes is that God fundamentally is about relationship. And this is why we can be so confident when we say that God is love. Love really does make all of the difference because love is our source, our destination, our purpose, our calling, our cure, our hope. The core of God's essence and being is described as a trinity, meaning that God is about the beauty, connection, and love of the beloved community between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by God's grace, we are given the gift of knowing about this and participating in this beloved community. This is why the Trinity is not a doctrine to keep up in our heads. Rather, it is a description of reality. And this relational nature of God tells us that God wants to be in a relationship with each of us. God is not satisfied being known in only one way, but in three. Through the splendor of creation, God is known. Through the life teaching and passion of Jesus, God is known. Through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, which we experience as love, as peace, as wisdom, as morality, God is known. God is all about relationship and can be known in the diversity of the Father, Son, and Spirit so that we can all come to know the love out of which we were made and the love that we are all destined for. And though God certainly is three, we also say that God is one. The Father, Son, and the Spirit are not identical, 
and yet they are not in competition with one another. In the Trinity, we are given a vision of unity without uniformity. Now, yes, I am as guilty of this as anyone, of wishing that the world would just agree with me and just do as I tell them to do. I'm sure you all feel the same way about me, just wishing I would get with your program. Fellow sinners, this is just how we are. But the Trinity shows us a better way of being. We need not all look the same. We need not think the same things or do the same things, but we can still be united. We can work through our disagreements and differences and witness to the gospel message of reconciliation and hope. Because the Trinity describes God at being in unity in the midst of diversity, we can therefore adjust our expectations of one another and what a good relationship looks like. And this is all possible because as we know from 1 Corinthians, that love hopes all things, love endures all things, love bears all things. The love of the Holy Trinity can hold our disagreements and differences in a blessed union called beloved community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a shorthand way of describing the entire story of our salvation, that we have been created in love, redeemed in love, and empowered by love. And this is what Trinity Sunday is all about, not a doctrine, but a description of the God who created us in the holy and triune image. Through and through, the Holy Trinity is about the all-encompassing love of God that surrounds us on every side. And this is exactly why church tradition and calendars matter so much. Because they help us to respond in gratitude and in praise to the Holy Trinity. They steep us in the rhythm and the story of our belovedness. They draw us deeper into God's all-encompassing love, and they equip us to share this love with the world. May all we do be done in the name of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.